Very rarely can you go wrong if you find an authentic purpose and a purpose that you have a right to, to, to play in. Hi, welcome to the Halftime Snacks. My name is Ronena Einbinder. This show features the stories of talented people working in sports. Are you ready? Let's go! potentially more passionate about soccer and beer than anyone else out there. He's the former head of content at West Ham United and chief of content at Squawka. He then worked with Budweiser as the head of football content and strategy, where he led the content operations for Budweiser's sponsorships of the Premier League and La Liga. He now works as a brand manager for Belgian company Anheuser Busch, one of the most relevant beer producing brands globally. Our guest is an expert in marketing, branding, product, and most importantly, beer. Ladies and gentlemen, Amar Singh. Thanks for having me, Ronan. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thank you so much for uh, taking my invitation. And this is actually the second time we're recording this because we had some technical issues, but you're more than welcome that <laughs> to be here on a second time, Amar. Uh, it's great to have you. And I want to start off by talking about sports marketing. Um, you know, we talked about it a little a little bit, but we talked also about the, the behavior of the fan, what makes it unique. So tell us about your perspective all around the idea of sports marketing, what makes it unique, the fan, the type of consumer. What's your take about it? Yeah, I think sports marketing um, is unlike any other type of marketing. And I think it's because the relationship between the fan and whatever entity they support, you know, a player, a club, franchise, like in the US, there is a sacred relationship there. And I think that's um, a really rich territory for a brand to be allowed into and invited into. So I guess you have to kind of tread carefully with that relationship. But at the same time, uh, you know, I think sport creates emotions uh, like other uh, industries don't really do, you know. Uh, I can think of music and, and other forms of arts and culture that certainly evoke emotion in people as well. But for me, you know, sport, there is no drama like sport. You don't get the epic stories in other forms of life like you get in sport. And I think for a brand like Budweiser, which, you know, has the, its belief in freedom, ambition to pursue your goals, opportunity, taking your shot at greatness, all of these great values that are in our history and in, in our a legacy, I think that goes hand in hand in sport, you know, which is why you'll see Budweiser has such a deep and rich history uh, with sport. So, you know, for me personally, sports is a passion. It's an obsession. I love sport. I love playing it. I love watching it. Um, I've always loved it. Um, so working in sport is an absolute pleasure. I love that, Amar. And I wonder what's, how are the different kind of brands and the different roles, depending on like the brands that you've worked on. You worked at Squaka, you worked at West Ham, you worked at Budweiser. So of course, I guess that their approach to marketing and how they manage the different marketing roles are, is a little bit different in terms of what they want to achieve. So can you just give us an overview of how different it is in each one of the brands? Yeah, I mean, three very different roles for me, but you know, lots of transferable skills that I've been able to bring to those roles, certainly, and develop in those roles. Uh, Squawker was less of a marketing role, much more of a journalistic uh, content leadership role in which I managed a, a content team across 
different verticals, uh, you know, video, uh, audio, because we launched a podcast, The Squawker Talker, editorial and social, um, you know, so in social media, Squawker um, have made some you know, amazing impact in, in football social media. That was a really interesting challenge. For, there was some marketing involved, I'd say, uh, and that was, you know, creating an impact for Squawker because football content is covered by so many organizations that you have to really work hard to stand out. You need smart ideas to stand out. So one of the things I developed at Squawker was a campaign called 23 Under 23, where we took the 23 best footballers in the world under the age of 23 um, and identified, uh, you know, who we thought would be the next Ballon d'Or winner after Messi and Ronaldo, who we thought could be the next generation of great football talent. And we ended up getting access and interviewing some really uh, great football talent. Paul Pogba was actually top of the list. He was at Juventus at the time and he, he topped our list in terms of potential. Um, and we were using data and metrics to inform it and also make data and metrics around football accessible for people as well. Um, we had access to Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, Deli Ali. So that was a really, really great experience for Squawker. And, and it gave us a foothold in the industry and it gave us access to talent as well. Um, if you want to give an award to a footballer, they tend to, uh, you know, one of the things I've learned is um, they tend to make the time for you if you're ready to give them an award. So that was Squawker and that was a really great experience. At West Ham United, um, incredible club with a really rich history, um, very deep history um, in the east of London. It was all about the comms objectives, I think, for West Ham. And they just moved from their historical home, uh, Upton Park or the Bowling Ground, whichever you prefer, to the London Stadium, which is a fantastic stadium, fantastic venue with a huge capacity, um, which allowed the club to really move up onto another level in terms of revenue and commercial footing. But, uh, you know, a lot of fans were aggrieved that the club had moved from its traditional um, heartland um, up the road. It wasn't too far, but it was very different um, in terms of an environment. So helping fans get accustomed to the new environment, helping fans get accustomed to, um, you know, the, the new stadium, the new home, and also making the most of the excitement around the club, because at West Ham United, uh, moving stadium meant that they were now then able to spend more money and, you know, they were breaking their transfer record every window while I was there. So we had some really great and exciting transfer announcements to make. And that was probably the most fun I had at West Ham was working on those transfer um, announcements, sometimes in the early hours of the morning um, and announcing these exciting players and really feeding off the fans' excitement. For example, when we signed Chicharito, um, you know, who you know well, uh, based on where you are, Ronan, um, you know, when we signed Chicharito, it was um, massive excitement and we developed a Spanish content strategy. We had a Spanish section of the site. We hired a Spanish journalist, a good friend of mine who I've worked with before. Um, and we, um, we developed Spanish social media accounts as well. And from that, we were able to add half a million fans purely on the strength of having one footballer uh, join the club. And the great thing, the great challenge was not just saying, hey, Chicharito is now a place for West Ham, come and follow us. But it was also, hey, now you're following us. Let's teach you a little bit about the club as well. This is the song that the fans sing. Uh, you know, this is the history of the club. So we, we made a, help, a load of content around, um, around the history of the club in Spanish just to help educate the fans about who the, the team they now support. So hopefully there's a legacy there and there are um, lots of uh, West Ham fans in Guadalajara and places like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, 
Um, when I joined Budweiser in 2019, again, the objective was very, very different. It was, you know, Budweiser, a huge global organization with an unbelievable reputation for some of the best marketing and advertising campaigns um, in, in, in living memory, you know. So I really do feel like I'm working at a world-class marketing organization, developing my skills as a marketeer, working with some incredibly talented people, working with some great partners as well. Um, and that for me has been about making the most out of the Premier League partnership and La Liga partnerships, because traditionally brands will spend a lot of money on partnerships, but what they're not always that good at is leveraging those partnerships, making use of those assets and sweating those partnerships to create engagement, to grow their own audience and grow their own communities. Through the work I set up and through the work that I've done with my colleagues, you know, we've now got 200,000 super engaged um, football fans following us on social media around the Bud Football brand, you know, which is great. And, um, you know, they're passionate, they're highly engaged. They're the most engaged audience we have across all the Budweiser social platforms. And it's because we've given them really good, authentic content as well. So, you know, it's been three very different roles over the last um, four years, but, um, you know, lots with lots of different objectives. But I'd say, Ronan, that um, there's been lots of transferable skills and learnings along the way, which I've been able to take to each role as well. That's fascinating, Amar. I actually remember reading on Twitter and every, everywhere else online about all this hate to David Moyes, the trainer, the coach of West Ham, because he wasn't playing Chicharito enough, uh, according to Mexican fans. So probably that backfired a little bit. But <laughs> it, I think his style of uh, coaching was, you know, he, he and he's, he's come back to West Ham and he's having a really successful season at West Ham, David Moyes. But I think with, with Chicha, you know, He's a throwback to an old-fashioned goal scorer. And in a way, you know, David Moyes is not like a lot of, not dislike a lot of modern coaches in that they like to have a target man up front and, and a hold-up striker up front. And so that second striker or that goal poacher role has been phased out a little bit from football, I think. So I think that was um, something that he had to contend with when he was at West Ham. How do you guys think about it in, in terms of like a marketing perspective? How can you take that story of like, he's not playing him enough and how he, he's like uh, keeping him in the bench maybe. And how can you, is there any way that you can like think about turning it into your advantage and creating, I don't know if even like memes or content that would kind of like make fun of it, but at the same time, create engagement and bring more fans like to interact with each other. Yeah. I think when you work at a football club and you work in the content side, you have to be aware of the sentiment around the team, the mood of the team and the mood of the individual players. So when a player is, is playing and they're scoring and they're in form, that's the time to make great content with them. And when they're not, and if they're out of the team, then, you know, you have to respect that. Maybe that's not the time where they want to be answering fans questions or doing some silly thing on Instagram, you know? So, um, you know, we, 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 we used to pick and choose our moments At the same time, some players are keen to show that they're working hard and they're training hard and they're doing everything professional to do to get back into the team. So you learn to read these things. You learn to pick up the cues and you learn to you develop a rapport with the squad and the players and you learn to speak to the ones that are uh, are ready to talk and, and, and tell you their life story. You know, I remember we did a piece on mental health with uh, with Ryan Fredericks and Andre Yarmolenko, both of whom had had injury problems. And they just opened their heart out about their injury problems. And it was a really nice piece because they were just speaking straight from the heart about how being injured for a long amount of time can impact your mental health and how you need to rely on your friends and family and people close to you. So 
that was a very um, interesting learning for me that actually sometimes when a player is not happy and they have something they want to get off their chest, you know, you can really be a conduit for that as well. Well, that's fascinating, Amar. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to switch over a little bit to talk about big events because I feel like everyone saw the Anheuser's Bush commercial in the Super Bowl. And I know that big brands such as Budweiser and Anheuser, they invest a lot of money in these kind of events because of the exposure. So I want to know what kind of like, how do you think about it strategically uh, looking at big events going forward? What's the idea? What's the objective? Tell us about it. Yeah. S Super Bowl is uh, the Olympics for advertisers, isn't it? And, you know, it's a time when in the US it's, it's fantastic. I like watching the game and I like watching the ads just as much because every uh, big brand pulls out their best, their best ideas, the, the most celebrities and some of the greatest, most memorable ads have been aired um, at the Super Bowl. So even the Budweiser famous What's Up campaign of What's Up ad, uh, which came out around 2000, 2001, that was a Super Bowl ad uh, that, that aired first at the Super Bowl. So, you know, we have a deep tradition there and we always um, make sure that we're, we're visible and not just Budweiser, but other ABI brands as well, such as Stella Artois. Um, so yeah, we have a, we have a big um, legacy there, a big tradition of advertising. However, what I'd say is at ABI, there is a cultural shift taking place where we're moving away from thinking like advertisers and thinking more like publishers, content creators, thinking more about how we can entertain people because you are seeing the rise of ad blockers and gated platforms with no advertising, such as Netflix, for example. So in that climate, how do you get your brand message across? You have to move into content and you have to create meaningful content that people want to engage in. And that's the approach that we've taken with Bud Football, for example, where we've got, you know, over 120K followers on Instagram, and that is through providing content. You know, it's not just um, slamming the brand in people's faces, but actually giving utility to sports fans, showing the kings of football through a Budweiser prism. Um, and yeah, you know, when we can talk about the product as well, we do. So And another great example is, and we would have probably done this this year if it wasn't for the pandemic, but last year in Miami, where we took over a hotel on Miami Beach for the weekend, we flew in uh, creators from all over the world. Uh, we had over 200 of them, um, all from different passion points, musicians, other sports people. I had footballers there as well, like David Villa and Adebayo Akinfenwa was there. We had Gareth Southgate, the England manager. And we just brought together all these very interesting people from different cultures, you know, and to see a, a, a DJ from China discussing things with a fashion designer from South Africa, uh, talking to um, skateboarder from the US and just bringing together all these very interesting people. And, you know, our objective was let's create a really great cultural moment around the Budweiser Hotel, the Bud Hotel, um, and take all these people to the Super Bowl as well and really make the most of this but we also wanted we also had some hard kpis we wanted to get one billion impressions which we did um, and we did that through bringing in these creators and these influencers and they were sharing this amazing moment and this amazing weekend with their community of fans and it became a much better way of spending money than simply spending you know millions of media dollars and putting loads of money behind um you know uh, powering an advert and making people watch an advert that they might not want to watch and, and this became This was a very interesting model for us. And I think we'll be looking to do this again 
around some of the big experiential and big events that we have access to through our partnerships. Next time you create this event on Miami Beach and you close this hotel for all these influencers, make sure you invite the host of the Halftime Snacks podcast, Amar. <laughs> I would be happy to create a podcast with you guys over there and, you know, go to the Super Bowl and whatever. <laughs> But we'll be in LA next next year because that's where the Super Bowl is next year. So we'll have to set up a little studio for you. Absolutely. Um, and we can do, we do a podcast from there. Huh? Absolutely, Amar. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to ask you a little bit of like the lessons that you've learned throughout your career around content distribution. For instance, what are some of the best strategies to share content? What's kind of like the, the best approach to build an audience or what works better between paid and organic uh, monetization strategies. Can you share with us your ideas on what you learned that works and what doesn't? I'd say number one, uh, planning, plan to the nth degree. Um, social pl platforms are simple, but they're also complex and, and making something come to life on social takes a lot of planning, refinement and iteration. So that is something that I would recommend that you do and, I, and I've definitely learned that over the last couple of years that you can't really plan too much when it comes to bringing something to life on social social media is fun so I think if you're growing a community on social media you need to remember that it's a fun platform engage share talk back the clue is in the name it is social media and I think a lot of brands make the mistake of being a little one way with their communication on social media and only really share things and never really engage properly. So I think be ready to engage, be ready to show up in other people's feeds, um, have, a, have a voice and a tone of voice in social media. Um, number three, test and learn. I'd say that's the beauty of digital. Try different captions, try different headings, length of content, platforms. Um, you know, we like to test and learn a lot. We do a lot of A-B testing where we will have the same uh, piece of content, but two different creative executions around it. And we will test and learn to see which one is getting more traction. Don't be obsessed with vanity metrics, number four. You know, like impressions or total followers, those are, uh, you know, vanity metrics, I'd say. Um, it's better to have a smaller, super engaged and authentic community of followers than like a load of bots giving you an overinflated following and ego. You know, like I think, Ronan, with your podcast, you've got a highly engaged community of people that follow you and your newsletter and they're genuinely interested in what you've got to say. And I think that's really valuable. And, you know, number five, this is a really important one. Believe in youth, learn from youth, trust their perceptions. I think the moment you start acting like you know it all, you've been there and you know more than some of the young talent coming through, you're dead in digital, basically. You're dead in the water because there is so much that you can learn from the young talent coming through, um, from people who are consuming content, the, the generation of people who've only ever known digital I'm learning from these people all the time. I'm learning from my younger colleagues as much as they're learning from me. And I think that's the way you've got to think of it. Those are great, great, amazing lessons. I wonder if you have some brand or is there any brand that you think that is doing a very good job online by the way they're managing their content, distributing their ideas and, and creating things that are authentic and that create this sense of, this notion of an idea or a, or a purpose behind their content and they're doing it so well that you admire them? I think an example of a brand, um, I'll give you two actually. One's a football one and one is a non-football one. Um, the non-football one, I'd say Burger King um, have an incredible presence online. They have a very clear brief. Um, I'm not sure if it's still their brief, but their brief for a very long time was very simple. Troll McDonald's and, uh, you know, 
that's what they did. They would show up. They weren't trying to um, be the straight lace brand. They were being the joker. They were being the troll and they were having a lot of fun with it. But I think over the last couple of years, they've done some really brave uh, campaigns as well from giving up their feed to um, other restaurants uh, and organizations during the pandemic that needed the promotion, which they did very recently, to um, last year, the campaign they did with the Moldy Whopper, which was very brave, showing their, their, their hero product, their most popular product, an iconic product, the Whopper, but showing it decayed. And I think that was a really brave campaign, but really stood out. The idea showing that it was, you know, made with ingredients that do decay and, and, and was therefore fresh. Um, and they did an incredible campaign with Stevenage um, FC, who were the lowest football club in the English league. Everything goes to football, Ronan. Even when I say I'm not talking about football, it eventually get, ends up at football. Um, but they did a fantastic campaign with Stevenage FC where they sponsored their kit um, and then they created the Stevenage FC Challenge on FIFA where they invited people to use the Stevenage kit, make Stevenage great on FIFA. And so they ended up having this incredible campaign where people were playing with, with Stevenage FC with Burger King on the front of their shirt and they were signing Messi and Ronaldo and Salah and the best footballers in the world. And that become, became a huge thing on FIFA. And they were rewarding people for doing that with, with free burgers um, on social. Genius idea, really clever. And in a way, that was like a Trojan horse into inflating their advertising within FIFA, which is such a popular game. So Burger King are a, a brand to admire. And I think they've got their marketing strategy bang on. And then the other one for me, which is in football, is AS Roma. I would say as a football club over the last five to 10 years, they've really led the way digitally. I really love what they do. Um, to take, for example, first of all, they were very creative with their transfer announcements before anyone else was. They really made an epic moment out of transfer announcements. And then they went a bit meta and ironic with it, which was really funny too. <clears throat> and then they stopped and said, you know what? Our transfer announcements are getting so much traffic. Let's use it for a positive cause. And then they started to advertise missing children and raise awareness around missing children. So when they announced the signing of a new player, you would see a picture of the player having their medical or signing the contract. And next to it, you would say you would see a picture of a missing child anywhere in the world. And actually, that's actually helped some of these children be found and be recovered because the club used its platform for something positive. So I always admire when, when, when organizations can um, do something positive with the, um, with the audience and the reach that they have. And I think those, what Roma did was a great example of that. Coming back to the Burger King one, I remember that they had between Wendy's and Burger King's account in Twitter, they were trolling each other. And it was so funny that, they were driving so much engagement. And even though they were competition, they were driving so much engagement because everyone was laughing and sharing and commenting around it. So it was a whole hype. And so I guess it's also a lesson on how understanding if you can create engagement, if it's even going against competition or even collaborating with, we don't even know if, if they talked to Wendy's and they were like, oh, let's do this, you know? So I think that's interesting. That's an interesting side of how, Uh, marketers could think about engagement in terms of like what kind of create con controversy or what is funny or you know how like memes get spread out so easily i feel like there's there's this value in in all these like type of content that 
marketers should take advantage of if they're not because for example elon musk is 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 like sharing three or five memes every week and you know how many retweets he has they're like more his most popular tweets so i guess that in terms of like a brand and as a public you know having a public image of a brand is just trying to figure out what works in terms of like engagement and i and i like that you said that it's all it also as long as you also like kind of connected with the purpose and with a something bigger than yourself or bigger than your brand it's very very positive uh, yeah i think very rarely can you go wrong if you find an authentic purpose and a purpose that you have a right to to, to play in and you use your platform for that so for example when the lockdown began in the uk we launched uh, this was last year we launched save pub life Um, and we decided, well, let's, you know, we work with all these businesses, pubs, restaurants, bars, um, you know, they take our products. Now they're having to close their doors. How can we help them? And so, you know, we, we launched this scheme called Safe Pub Life, which was if you purchased a voucher for your friend or your family to, to use at the pub, when the pub reopens, we will match that donation. We will match it with a donation. So if I was to give you, Ronan, a 50 pound voucher to spend at your favorite pub or restaurant, you know, ABI would match it with 50, uh, another 50 pounds. So you'd have a hundred pounds and that would go to the pub at the time when they need it now. And then that would also make sure that you would be coming back to them when they reopen. So that was great. And that was an authentic purpose-driven campaign where we felt we had the right to play in. And we felt that we had the right where we could make a difference. And I think if you do that, very you know it's it's very rare that you can go wrong and i think um you know i've seen some great examples of that and and um you know purpose driven campaigns i feel are going to be really important this year across different brands whether we're talking about things like diversity and inclusion and you know um issues like black lives matters for example um or whether we're talking about some of the economic challenges that we're seeing through covid whether we're talking about you know, uh, the, the, the first responders and the health service. I think there are lots of issues where brands can really make a difference. And I think if you go into it in the right way with the right intentions um, and don't see it as a badging exercise, then the kudos will come for you as a brand as well. And I think that for me is an opportunity for not just for us, but for, for all brands, really. Absolutely, Amara. That's a great lesson. I hope that the marketers and the people listening here can think about how can they match their brands to a purpose and create some content or try to help the cause itself in in some way by leveraging their platforms so that they can create an impact in society Amar, that's very powerful and thank you so much for sharing that and my last question for you amar is a, a bit more personal it's a bit more to get to know you it's a bit more to understand what like uh how do you think about things and that that question is If there's anything that you do differently than anyone else, it can either be on marketing or outside in your personal life that you do differently than others. And why that? Why is it that you do it differently? Why is it that you believe in it? And why do you think it's important? Tell you a couple of things that I kind of swear by and maybe I've learned a lot about in the last year. Number one, I would say, you know, it's, it's important for me to um, have some solitude in my day you know, I would say this is a daily habit where I need to go out for a run or a long, very long walk, uh, you know, go into nature and just find a little peace. 
Um, you know, I live in an area where there's some very nice fields and hills and, and valleys near me, which I'm very fortunate to have. So, you know, I try to make the most of that. And I think because we're in this situation where we're on Zoom calls and Skypes all day and Google Hangouts all day, speaking into our computers, it's very important to just um, distance yourself from that if you can. I think a lot of people are doing that. I wouldn't say that's particularly unusual, but I would say that's what's kept me sane over the last few months, certainly. And then number two, I'd say is a mindset. And I think um, maybe a lot of people I meet, it surprises me sometimes that they don't think this way, but I try not to pigeonhole myself. You know, my job right now is senior brand manager for Budweiser and Bud Light. It is a marketeer's job. I've worked in marketing. Um, I've worked as a journalist previously. I've worked for newspapers for 10 years. Um, you know, I've worked in sport, in marketing and journalism over the last 10 years. And I just try not to pigeonhole myself. I feel I'm part content creator. I, I you know, I'm certainly a mar marketer. I'm certainly still have journalistic qualities to what I do. Um, you know, storytelling, whatever it is, you know, there are so many labels we give ourselves. I try not to let the current job I'm doing define me. Um, and I try to have a growth mindset and be ready to take on the next challenge. And I find that if I'm doing the same thing for too long, um, I get restless and I feel like what I really enjoy is the challenge and feeling like I'm growing, feeling like I'm a little bit out of my comfort zone. So I would always recommend that you challenge yourself, you push yourself and you don't limit yourself and say, this is what I do and this is what I'm going to do. That's awesome, Amar. Very powerful as well. Man, I want to thank you so much for coming to the Halftime Snacks twice because we had an <laughs> issue first and now we're here again. But I really want to thank you for your time. I appreciate your insights, your lessons and everything you mentioned around your career, your experience and what you know about marketing. I think it's very, very valuable. For now, thank you for taking the time to come to the Halftime Snacks. Before you leave, I want to thank you for listening. To hear this or any other Halftime Snack, check out the full archive on my website, which you can find on the show notes. See you next week.